0: Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We return to our study of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We're in the last major section of Ephesians, which is known as the whole armor of God. Today we'll be focusing on verse 17, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. But I will read verses 10 through 18 again so that we have our context. So please stand and follow as I read. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And remember, this is the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Amen. Maybe may be seated. It's important that we read all of it to remember the context of what we're talking about with the helmet and the sword. The context being that we are in the middle of a war against enemies who are much stronger than we are. The text calls them rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. We're talking about Satan and his servants. That said, though our enemies are much stronger than we are in and of ourselves, we have not been left to face our enemies in and of ourselves. One of the great themes throughout the book of Ephesians is that we are in Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ has all power and authority in heaven and on earth, which includes power and authority over Satan and his servants. And we are in Christ, which means we have access to anything and everything we will ever need in order to fight this war faithfully and stand firm to the end. In the end, we know that Jesus wins and we know that we will triumph over our enemies in Him. That said, right now, It's time to fight, and we have a responsibility to fight. We have a responsibility uh, to always be putting on and keeping on the whole armor of God, taking up the means of God's strength that He has given to us. In our own strength, we are no match for our enemies, but we have not been left to our own strength. Again, the the beginning of this passage, uh, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might to take up the whole armor of God so that we will be able to withstand our enemies and stand firm to the end. So as I said a minute ago, the pieces of the armor that we're focusing on today are found in verse 17, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The imagery is that we're in the thick of the battle. Enemies are everywhere. They're pressing in on us. Uh, We need our helmets. We need our swords. The times that we live in are disorienting. There's enemy fire coming from all around us. The enemies are pressing in with close proximity. We need our helmets and we need our swords. So let's start with the helmet. I want to talk about two aspects of putting on the helmet of salvation. One is just thinking through the implications of our personal salvation in Christ and then also thinking about the implications of salvation in Christ for the world. Uh, thinking through our personal salvation and then thinking through the implications for the world. First, in terms of our personal salvation. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 5. You can look there if you like, but I'm just going to read it. Here, 1 Thessalonians 5.8, he says, "...put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we would live with Him. Again, the, the idea of uh, we were facing wrath, but being delivered from wrath, putting on the helmet of the hope of salvation that we have in Christ. In our sin, we deserved God's wrath, His eternal destruction from Him. But because of God's grace and mercy, we will not get what we deserve. For those who believe in Christ, we're not destined for wrath, but for salvation, for eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus took all of God's wrath that was due us on the cross. He paid the full and final penalty for all of God's people throughout all time, all over the world. He then rose from the grave. He now stands in victory over Satan, sin, and death, and he stands as what the Bible calls our propitiation. Propitiation. Which means he took all of God's wrath on himself and he removed all of God's wrath from us as far as the east is from the west. I want to turn to Genesis 3 and I want to develop this a little bit further. So turn over there to Genesis chapter 3. I know I've done this in here before, but it's worth doing again. This is one of my favorite places uh, and place that I often find. If someone's in my office or at lunch or whatever it is, I find myself returning over and over again as one of my favorite places to share the gospel. Uh, we're going to talk in a minute about our responsibility to take up the sword and sharing the gospel with others. And maybe this can help you as you think through how you might do that. Uh, You don't have to use this passage, but whatever passage you use, I would commend to you a framework to keep in mind, which is God-Man-Christ-Response. If you want to share the Gospel and you want to put it in its context with whoever it is, keep in mind God-Man-Christ-Response. And I've kind of got that in mind uh, as I look at our passage in Genesis chapter 3. Of course, the context of Genesis 3 is God's good creation. God is good and God created uh, everything good. The apex of His creation was uh, the creation of mankind who was to bear His image and and He gave responsibility to rule over creation and care for creation and cultivate creation. Um, But there was also a prohibition in verse 17 of chapter 2. You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Of course, we know how the story goes. Um, Adam is passive in his responsibility, which plagues men to this day. Eve is deceived by the serpent, and mankind is plunged into sin. Uh, Every ounce of devastation, sin, chaos, death, that we see today dates back to that day. So a couple of things that we learn about sin in Genesis chapter 3, about God and about man, and thus about sin. Uh, God is holy. He, He cannot have sin in His presence, which is why at the end of chapter 3, you see in verse 24, He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden He placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we have a holy God and sinful man that cannot exist together. Sin cannot exist in God's presence. So sin separates us from God. But the worst part about the separation is the condemnation. The, uh, he, he sends Adam and Eve out of the garden and then he guards the way back in with the cherubim, which are big angelic beings, uh, you know, much stronger than we are, and then the flaming sword... Which is basically to say, if God shuts the door and guards it it with His sword, you ain't getting back in. You know, the sword is developed later in the Bible, especially in Jeremiah, as an image of God's wrath. So we find, not only are we separated from God in our sin, but the worst part about the separation is the condemnation facing God's judgment, facing God's wrath, not able to get back into God's presence, into His good graces, which is our greatest need. God, man, the problem of sin, uh, but Christ. God so loved the world, He did not leave us in our sin. He sent His Son so that whoever believes in Him would not perish under His wrath, but would have eternal life with Him, would be back in good fellowship with Him. So Jesus is the only one that didn't have to go outside the garden. Jesus had no sin, but He chose to go outside the garden and die under that flaming sword of God's wrath on our behalf for all of our sins. He then rose from the grave and He now stands as that door back into fellowship with God. He says so Himself in John chapter 10, I am the door. Anyone who enters by Me will be saved. And so the sword has been taken. No more sword. And Christ now stands as the door and anyone who comes to Him enters back into Fellowship with God God, man, Christ, response. We have to do something about that. We can't just just leave that there. We have to do something about that personally, to stay outside of Christ and apart from God in our sin is to continue uh, you know, it's not that all wrath is gone, it's that wrath is gone for those who are in Christ. But the Bible teaches us that wrath is still being stored up for those who are outside of Christ. And so, one of the things that the Bible pictures throughout is there's one way to be saved from destruction. That's what the ark was all about, right? There's one way, you've got to you gotta get in the boat. And if you don't get in the boat, you're not going to make it. Well, the ones that got in the boat made it. There's one way to be saved, and that is in Christ. And we must do something about that. Um, To stay apart from Him and not to trust in Him and not to surrender to Him is to store up wrath for the day of judgment. Again, you can use uh, any passage that you like, but I think that's a helpful framework to keep in mind if you're trying to share the Gospel with somebody. God, man, Christ, response. And for all of us, as we think about putting on the helmet of salvation, one of the things that we're thinking about is our personal salvation in Christ. When, when uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 5, he's pitting that against wrath. There's no more wrath. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. The sword has been taken in Him. Uh, and so, the comfort and uh, strength for the fight. But also, thinking about the implications of uh, salvation in Christ for the world. Um you know, when, when Jesus died and rose, the world could never be the same. In, in Colossians 1, Paul says that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead and that through Him all things will be reconciled on earth and in heaven. So everything fell apart in sin, but everything is being put back together in Christ. We're not there yet, but it's happening in God's time. Everything outside of Christ will continue to fall apart. But everything will be fully and finally restored in Christ. This world can never be the same because Jesus came back from the dead in it and He was just the firstborn. There's a whole lot more where that came from. So part of what it means to put on the helmet of salvation is to believe what the Bible says about where the world is going in Christ. We have to view the happenings of our day through the lens of death and resurrection. We see at the end uh, a multitude so great that no one could number it there with the Lord new heavens and the new earth. So throughout the course of history more and more people are going to be saved until that day when God has saved all of His people. That day when we're gathered together in the new heavens and the new earth with people from every language and every tribe and every nation uh, so many people that we can't count that high. Jesus has inaugurated His kingdom. He will fully and finally establish it at the last day, but His kingdom continues to come since the day that He set it up in His death and resurrection. Where every other earthly kingdom goes rise and fall, we work through fall and rise. So we don't give in to despair when things aren't going our way. Things didn't seem to be going the way of the disciples when Jesus was in the ground. It was the worst day of their life. But He came back. He didn't stay long. And He he rose back to heaven. He's now sending His Spirit. His kingdom is coming. And He promises us that His kingdom will be the last kingdom standing. So we look around in our day, there's spiritual death everywhere in our country. But God can still send revival. We ought to pray for it, and we ought to labor for it. If we're viewing these things according to the way of the world, it's all doom and gloom. But if we have on the helmet of salvation, and we're viewing these things through the lens of death and resurrection, well then it seems like it's a great time for God's light to shine. He loves the backdrop of darkness with which to shine the light of His glory in Christ. And we also ought to remember that even if the great United States circles the drain, which she's trying to do, our primary citizenship is in heaven and Christ's kingdom will never fade. So putting on the helmet of salvation can involve thinking about our personal salvation, the implications for our right relationship with God, no more wrath, no more condemnation, your sins are forgiven, every last one of them is paid for, but also the impact and implication of the kingdom coming, salvation in Christ for the world. He came back from the dead in this world and it can never be the same. Uh, Next, the sword of the Spirit. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the Word is mentioned twice in our passage. In verse 14, the belt of truth. And 17 the sword of the Spirit. Uh, So both are talking about the Word. Something interesting to note about verse 17 is the Greek term for Word in Word of God, the Greek term that is used is rhema. R-H-E-M-A is how you would spell it in English. But one commentator pointed out that Paul would normally use the term logos when he's talking about word. But uh, they pointed out that the term rhema is used instead of logos because Paul intends to emphasize the word being communicated or the word being spoken. So to take up the sword against the enemies of darkness is to communicate God's word, is to speak it. We fight back the enemies of darkness by communicating God's word. Now we could think about this with communicating God's Word to, to one another or to ourselves, but let's think about it in terms of communicating God's Word to the world. We must get on offense. A lot of the commentators point out that this is the only offensive weapon. You know, we've got a helmet, we've got a breastplate, we've got a shield and all that sort of thing, uh, but this is the way that we get on the attack is with the Word of God communicating the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Of course, not to harm people, but to set them free. uh, To set those who are captive to the darkness free. So, the Word of God is the means by which lost people come to new life in Christ. As Romans talks about, how are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? And if they don't hear, they won't believe because faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the Word of Christ. Uh, I heard an amazing story last week about Rosaria's mom so Rosaria Butterfield was here sharing with our church about her conversion story which is amazing in and of itself uh, she came from a uh, liberal family the question was asked if you weren't there um, the question was asked if it was a big deal when she like in her family when she came out as homosexual and she said yeah that pretty much like didn't make the radar move at all the big deal was when I came out as a Christian you know like that was when everything hit the fan and their world got turned upside down homosexual was just par for the course when I became a Christian you know so that gives you an idea of kind of her family's background and um obviously one of the things that when she came to Christ one of the great burdens that she had was for her family um So she's written a couple of these books, and in them, I think, communicated the gospel wonderfully. Um, And her mom had read these books, and she had a conversation with her mom not too long uh, ago. I guess this was about a year ago. And her mom said, Rosaria, you've written some very powerful words in these books. And if anyone should believe these, I should. I'm your mother. But I don't believe them. Uh, I reject them and I'm rejecting you, and oh, by the way, uh, I have cancer. And uh, they didn't talk again. She didn't know where her mom went. But literally was, I reject this Christ of yours, I reject you because you follow him, and I'm dying. Uh, Have a nice life. So she was devastated. Uh, She obviously continued to pray for her mom. But didn't know where she was. Didn't hear from her for a period of time. I don't know how long, until she got word somehow that her mom was in hospice and was dying, um, in some, you know, hospice care. The the thing that her mom said to her when she said, "I'm rejecting you," is she said, um, "I'm not weak like you. I don't need your savior," and um, so. Later on, she gets connected with her mom. Her mom's dying in her last days in hospice care, and Rosaria goes there and is just caring for her and singing the psalms over her. In Rosaria's little denomination, I think they only sing the psalms. So she's singing you know, the gospel out of the psalms as she sings God's word to her mother as she's dying. And the day before her mom died, you can't make this stuff up, she looked at her daughter and said, Rosaria, I guess I am weak like you. And I, I do need your Savior. And she died the next day. Um, I want you to think about the fact that we played a significant role in that. I mean, we didn't know we were, but Rosaria had to cancel coming here because her mom was dying. And Kim, uh, led by the Holy Spirit, asked us all to be praying. And there were hundreds of people in our church praying all the time for her mom And God saved her. And she is with the Lord um, now. You know, the reason I I say that is... What a wonderful story. But the thing that had to happen in order for her to come to life was she had to hear the Gospel. She heard it in her daughter's books. She heard it through her daughter's mouth. She heard it uh, when she communicated it. You know, just speaking and singing... And God uses His Word to bring the dead to life, which is still amazing. Another story, I sent it out on GOL, but I know you delete most of those, so I'll uh, tell you about it. Um, It was about a a former Muslim named Javad, who was a... uh, Muslim from Iran until he came to Christ in Athens, Greece of all places. Now, Athens has a great Christian heritage dating back to, you know, early Christianity in the Bible, but over the last many hundred years, even though it's technically a Christian nation on paper, it's pretty much Christian in name only. It's a very secular uh, state, country. However, As you may know, there are many thousands of uh, Muslim refugees that have been going to Athens over the last few years and there is a revival happening among them. So Javad first heard the gospel on the radio when he was in Iran and then when he got to Greece as a refugee, he heard the gospel again in an Iranian church. He was like, I've never even heard Iranian... And church, you know, put together in the same sentence, uh, but they were Iranian speaking. Is that, that's not their language. What is it? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> they were speaking that and uh, from Iran. He heard the gospel, he surrendered to Christ, and uh, he's now a pastor. But one of the things that struck me was he is a committed evangelist. So it says every day he goes to the park or to a refugee camp, or to a coffee shop to share the gospel with Iranian and Afghan refugees. He says that he knows of at least two to three Muslims who have trusted Christ every day since he got to Greece in 2008. That's a long time ago. Every day they're seeing people come to Christ. And a lot of these are just passing through. They're refugees that are being cared for momentarily until they can get back on their feet wherever they go. And they're going throughout the UK or the Middle East or wherever they're going. Um, but they're going now to like plant churches and share, go- share the gospel. It's really an amazing story. You can find it at Desiring God. <clears throat> it's called New Glory in the Ancient City. So you should read some GOLs. There's uh, some good stuff. It's about, again, Muslim refugees turning to Christ. But again, what I want to emphasize for our purposes today is the communication of the Word. Javad heard the Word on, on the radio, heard the Gospel. He heard it again when he got to Greece as he was invited to a church service, surrendered his life to Christ. He's now sharing the Gospel every day, as it sounds like many Christians there are. There's Bibles going out everywhere in, in the native languages. And masses of people are coming to Christ. Christ. Because God's people are taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is how the enemies of darkness are fought back and people are set free uh, from their captivity to sin. So as I hear stuff like that and I read this text and I think, you know, maybe we've just complicated things too much. Um, Sharing Christ with others is an integral part of what it means to be a Christian and and yet, many of us uh, have never done it or, or don't do it often. Um, you know, myself included. So we talked about <clears throat> sharing the Gospel a few weeks ago when we were studying verse 15, which is about putting on the shoes of readiness that are given by the Gospel of peace. And the big point there is that if we have understood the Gospel for ourselves, the Gospel has come to us Uh, to equip us with readiness to share it with others. It's a part of the gospel package. If we understand it for ourselves, we're ready to share it with others. Uh, So in terms of sharing the gospel, for some, no doubt, there's still a need to better understand what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. Uh, But for most, I think, we understand what it is and what it isn't. It's just a matter of sharing it. And, you know, maybe it's... um, more complicated in places where people have heard lots of versions of the gospel and maybe they think they've heard the gospel but they haven't or they've they've heard it but they haven't trusted Christ. And so, um, granted. But uh, again, it's just a matter of, of sharing. Maybe we're not good at it. But the way to get better at it is by doing it. So... My challenge as we move to the close for all of us is um, we've seen in this text that a major part, the way that we get on offense is by communicating the gospel with others and that is used to set the captives free. Uh, So we should share the gospel with strangers. We should share the gospel with people at the store. We should share the gospel with waiters and waitresses. We should share the gospel with coworkers. We should share the gospel with new friends. uh, With new friends, we should share the gospel with longtime friends or family members. Uh, We can invite neighbors to church. We can invite neighbors into our homes where we can share Christ in word and in deed. Uh, This, I think, would be especially fruitful with the international community or, you know, there are refugees here as well. But those that are not at home in our country. Um... One thing, we're going to hear from Blake and Jamie next week, and we're talking about Blake's mom's ministry of letters. Uh, we can write letters to family members and friends. You know, Paul wrote letters in his day. People, people are still studying those letters. Granted, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, but you never know an impact, the impact that a letter might have. And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, when I came to Christ in college, I wrote a letter to my fraternity. I was scared, you know. I really identified with Paul's. Uh, didn't come to you in uh, eloquence of speech or however he says it, but in you know, he was scared, timidity, and but the the power of the Spirit. And uh, so I just felt like these guys more than anybody know what I'm about um, in sin, and they need to know what God has done in my life in Christ, and just also to make that offer to everyone else, like. It's for everybody. And um, so I haven't read it in a while. It would probably pain me to read some of it, you know. But just, I remember writing a letter. It was pretty long. I wrote it to my fraternity. Some guys read it. I think a lot of them read it. Uh, Some guys hated on it. Other guys, you know, responded well. But it was a couple years later, and I got an email from somebody at Indiana University. And the whole chapter at Indiana University had read that letter and you know I was like what <laughs> you know <laughs> cuz honestly it felt so unimportant you know what i mean like it just felt like this is just what i got to do this is where god took me from i just got to let them know what god has done and through a couple connections somebody in indiana gets a hold of it and their whole chapter's reading it the point is you never know how god's going to use what you do Maybe it'll be used in the moment, maybe it won't, but you never know um, how that could be used. Another idea is I heard Rosaria say she started a Bible study in her neighborhood. Like they've got a neighborhood listserv or whatever it is. Uh, she just put it out on the neighborhood message board if anyone would like to come and study the Bible. She said yeah. it's mostly yeah. older women, you know, who wanted someone to be with, but uh, it's a great little way to reach your neighbors. And uh, I remember. There's a book on our book nook. It's a little red book. I think the title is Evangelism. Uh, so he's just getting straight to the point. But he's an elder in a church in Dubai, and you know, Dubai it is an international city. But there aren't there are a lot of Muslims, and there're not a lot of people just come to church unless they come to Christ. And so they feel the pressing need for evangelism maybe more than we do. But um, that he said, by far, the most fruitful evangelistic method has been reading the Bible with someone. Um, so whether that's one-on-one or in a small group or inviting them to ladies' Bible study or whatever it is, but just getting them, I've heard Les Newsom say, getting them in front of the freight train of God's Word. And that is ultimately what changes people. That is the means that God uses to bring to life. There are lots of ways to be sharing the Gospel. My concern, which is the concern of the text, is simply that we do it. That we would all be growing in uh, communicating the Word of God to the lost world. Communicating Christ. The Word is the means that God uses to save the lost. To give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, We take it to them and we leave the results up to God. So take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your grace and mercy. Lord, we had all stored up wrath for ourselves, but You chose to pour out Your wrath on another. And we thank You. Lord Jesus, we will truly never know what it costs You to pay for our sins because we will never know the wrath of God and we thank You. We also believe, Lord, not only that You paid for our sins, but that You rose from the grave and that we'll never be the same nor will this world be the same because of it. Help us to look out at this uh, lost and dark world with the eyes of death and resurrection. Lord, help us to hope in this great salvation that we have, not only for ourselves, but also uh, for the world around us. And Lord, I do pray that You would give us courage and boldness to speak the Word as we ought to, uh, to take up the sword and to communicate God's word, uh, Your Word with with those that You've put in our life. Please do give us the courage and the faith to do it. Please open doors and give us opportunities to do it, Lord. How we would long to be a part of um, what is happening in Athens, uh, what has happened in with uh, in Rosaria's family, Lord, and certainly has happened in our midst as well. Uh, help us to to believe you at your word and to walk in your paths. We do pray in Christ's name, Amen. Anybody, we got a little bit of time. If anybody has any questions or comments about the hope of salvation in Christ or sharing. The Hope of Salvation in Christ?
1: It just reminded me um, of Dana and Fraser Gieselton and just a conversation I had with Dana a few weeks ago. But um, most of y'all know their story, that their two youngest daughters are dying of a genetic disease. But Dana was talking about um, how they had been able to um, really, like, befriend... a a restaurant manager of a Mexican restaurant in Midtown. Mm -hmm. And just because of like what they were going through, um, this restaurant manager just like knew their situation Mm -hmm. had a lot of compassion for them, wanted to get to know them. And, and, you know, she's very open that she's a lesbian. Mm -hmm. And so it was just really neat to hear Dana talk about how she has just like really wanted to be a part of their life. Like she's Mm -hmm. brought them dinner from the Mexican restaurant, and even over fall break, she picked up their oldest daughter for a play date and took her, mm-hmm. you know, all day to the zoo and stuff. But um, anyway, it was just neat to hear hear Dana be able to say, you know, even though the pain is so great, it is, um, I'm just so honored to be part of God's story and have opportunities that we wouldn't have.
2: Mm-hmm. But,
0: that is very. We'll add them to the prayer list too. But you bring up a great point, just generally also about how God can use our suffering. We're going to talk some about that next week with Blake and Jamie. Um, we, you know, with his mother. But it's uh, another one that comes to mind is Perpetua. I've talked before about those uh, videos for kids, the Torchlighters DVDs, and Perpetua uh, died in the Roman Coliseum. I mean, at the hands of. Uh, you know the animals, but though there were people that came to Christ because of the grace with which these Christians were suffering, and I think the even as times change around us, maybe not to that degree, but whether it's suffering in the form of family members uh, sick or dying, or also persecution that is sure to come our way in the future, that we would be mindful of how God could use our suffering to bring others to Christ good.
2: I think a lot of times, too, we think of it as it's going to be really awkward and uncomfortable and scary to put yourself out there as a Christian or to share, but it seems like those kind of opportunities can naturally happen, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be scary. All of a sudden, you can be like, you know what, I'm I'm, um, crossing this person's path a lot, or we're just having normal conversations, and I don't know. It seems like something big and scary, but... It also seems like the Lord will bring those opportunities in your life. And it's not going to be scary. It's going to be... um, I I think the Holy Spirit definitely helps more in those situations than we even realize. Absolutely. Um, Will and I did talk about, after Rosaria, it's funny, she talks about how she became friends with that pastor how she wasn't his project. Uh She was, though. He (laughs) wanted her to be saved. Well, he wrote her a letter. Originally, that's right. It wasn't like they just lived next door and just ha- it just happened to be friends. Like he he wrote her a letter. It started with, and he may have never thought anything about it again. He might write letters all the time yeah. to people that post things in the newspaper. Yeah. And she contacted him back, and then it just kind of became, you know, this this relationship where probably he knew like this is something I need to move forward with. This is something the Lord a door of the Lord has opened. Yeah. Um, and she said he messed up a lot. He said a lot of offensive things. Right. But mm-hmm. she felt like he cared for her. But I, th- I thought it was funny when she was like, I wasn't his product." And I'm like, no, she was. You probably were a little. Yeah, probably but, were a little bit. You know, well, but but the,
0: that's okay. He truly, genuinely cared for her. One of the things that made a big impact on her at that time in her life, I think she was vegan or something like that. And the meal that he, they prepared for her was, uh, you know, to her liking. And so that it showed that they cared to meet her where she was and things like that. But they were also communicating about Christ from the get-go. I mean, it was a unique situation because she's writing this dissertation on trying to disprove the Bible and the religious right and all this stuff. But there was open dialogue about their, their deepest convictions from the get-go. And, um, and that could be much more natural than we make it. I think Elaine has a good point about that. It's like anything else. We think, we blow it up in our minds, and then we get there and we're like, oh, that wasn't half as bad as maybe I thought it was going to be. All right, let's go to church.